of Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we're going to be talking about the hashtag Me Too movement. Okay, so I know I've gotten a lot of questions about this. I've had guys ask me about kind of what my thoughts are on this, but you know, there's no better time than exactly this exact moment because we might be looking at one of the most ridiculous circumstances that's happened potentially because of this movement. And we'll get into that here in just a second. But for some of you, you're not even going to know what I'm talking about. So when I talk about the Me Too movement, I think most of you know what I'm talking about, but I don't want to take that for granted. So Let's talk about where this all started, because it actually started well before where most people thought it started. So where this all started was with someone named Tarana Burke. I think I'm saying that first name right, but it's Tarana Burke. And she is a social activist uh, and a community organizer and, you know, kind of one of those types of folks. And she started using the phrase Me Too on MySpace back in 2006. So we're going we're going all the way uh, into the Wayback Machine, going back to MySpace. But this was something that she used at the time. And she was mainly using this in reference to women of color that uh, she saw had been uh, sexually abused or sexually exploited. And so that was something that she started to use. But I mean, essentially, it, it never gained any traction. Like it was just something that she said. She kind of coined the phrase and its use. But uh, essentially, there was nothing that was done about it. Um, there was even a little documentary at the time. I think it was in 2006, maybe in 2007 that was going into this concept. But most people were generally unaware of it until obviously it became part of common vernacular here in 2017, which would have been last year. Okay. So the hashtag me too thing became a thing on the heels of all of the sexual assault allegations against the, you know, the big time Hollywood producer, Harvey Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein, Weinstein, excuse me. So with Harvey Weinstein, we got these accounts from these women and it wasn't just a few women. It was lots and lots of women that he had done horrific stuff to. So some things were just crass and kind of gross and, and really just kind of icky dude. But then there were other times where it seems pretty clear that he not only sexually assaulted people in certain ways, you know, unwanted touching, things like that, but that he actually raped women. And so I have to say he was, uh, you know, that's alleged at this point because he has not been convicted of anything, but essentially it's pretty clear that this was something that was going on. And so the hashtag me too went viral in October of, of the same year. So these allegations came out in October of 2017. And the hashtag basically became common when actress Alyssa Milano, uh, when she encouraged women to post their stories using the hashtag. So posting their stories uh, about how they had been sexually assaulted or taken advantage of or abused and using the hashtag me too at some point in the story. And the reality of it was, is that millions of people responded. I mean, immediately there were hundreds of hundreds and then thousands and thousands and then tens of thousands and then hundreds of thousands. And eventually millions of people use this hashtag to talk about uh, things that had gone on in their lives whenever they were taken advantage of. And this included uh, a lot of celebrities. So some very famous celebrities, you got Ashley Judd, um, Jennifer Lawrence, Gwyneth Paltrow, Angelina Jolie. Um, Uma Thurman, Reese Witherspoon. I'm just trying to think of some, but those were some of the people that kind of came out, but, but also those were just the women. So there were also some men that came out. So a couple of guys, you might know Terry Crews and James Vanderbeek, a couple of actors, they came out to talk about some things that had happened to them where they had some on un- unwanted sexual uh, sexual things that, that were happening. Right. And so the thing about this movement is I feel like it started in the right place. And the immediate follow that ha- the fallout that happened right after this, it really kind of went into some areas where it needed to go. It's like we needed to let the wildfire burn and just tear some stuff down. So uh, really, the the fallout started in Hollywood. 
right? You had Brett Weinstein and um, Weinstein. Sorry, I keep saying that, but Brett Weinstein and you had all the things that were happening there. Um, and it was just, it was a really just an interesting time to hear Hollywood, which obviously always tries to tell the rest of the country, especially the middle of the country, how to act and how to be. And obviously since basically back as far as Hollywood goes, there's been something called the casting couch. And it was something that was just kind of a common thing that, you know, young ladies or even young men would have to do sexual acts on some of these older directors or producers to get jobs in Hollywood. Like that was just like a thing. It was like a joke until it wasn't right until these horrible stories came out. And then, you know, all of a sudden we have to react negatively to it, even though it was gross and sinful and satanic the entire time. Yeah. Let's freak out about it now. Okay. So that was a little bit, you know, a little bit dishonest from the Hollywood people, from the Hollywood elites, but I, I don't really care if it was dishonest as long as it was leading to some good things. Because here's the thing, it spread from Hollywood. It spread into uh, the music industry, into churches, um, the military, academia. I mean, all these different areas, and some of them had adjusted the hashtag to, to be more applicable to their exact situation. But that was something that was really important, that there were people that had been silenced, that were either scared to come out, they didn't feel like they could, they didn't have the courage to do so, men and women. And it was a good thing. I mean, pretty much every workforce that includes both men and women had to had to do something to respond to this because there were always allegations whenever these two uh, types of people were in the same place working at the same time. And and don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say that yeah, I'm there. I'm not about to come up and say, hey, we, we should separate men and women in the workplace. That's not something I would ever suggest. But that was something that was interesting is that it had to basically be talked about. I mean, there was a, a huge story in sports. There was the U.S. gymnastics uh, doctor, Larry Nasser. He was uh, the Michigan State doctor that was uh, found out because of the Me Too movement. I mean, this was a guy that sexually assaulted hundreds of young girls over his career. Hundreds. And, and the stories that have come out since then have been absolutely terrifying. But he was found out because of this movement. I mean, I mean, we could probably assume that he would have been found out eventually. But let's just say for the sake of argument today that he wouldn't have. Let's say that he wouldn't have been found out. I mean, this is a really, really good thing that the Me Too movement happened because th this guy was found out to be the, the unbelievable evil creep that he was, right? And this is something that hasn't just stayed within the United States. This is something that has spread all over the world. I mean, when I was researching doing this podcast, I was blown away at some of the countries that had some form of this hashtag that came on the heels of what had happened, you know, about a year ago. And so, I mean, we have Canada, China, Japan, Israel, Ethiopia, uh, Nigeria, Russia, Vietnam, even Afghanistan. I mean, there was all kinds of things like this. And there were so many people, so many evil, vile people that were, you know, taking advantage of individuals and they were being found out because people were getting the courage to do something about it. And guys, if, if you've forgotten my opinions on rapists and things like that, I'd encourage you to go back to the podcast I did on the, the stuff that's going on right now in the Catholic Church. I mean, I think that there should only be three options for people that are raping individuals, especially kids. They, sh they should either be castrated, killed, or castrated, and then killed, right? So those are my only options that I have for these people. But really, if we go from the very beginning, I think that this was a good movement. I really think that this was a good movement. It had, you know, it was just kind of like this groundswell that there wasn't like this nonprofit that kind of created this and it started with a viral video and then they kind of went from there. It really was just kind of a groundswell. 
But if we're being honest, sitting here as I'm recording this in September of 2018, I think the Me Too movement has gone out a little bit over its skis. Okay. So there, there are a lot of problems that we have seen in the recent uh, history that, and that will lead us to what we're going to be talking about mainly today with what's going on with Judge Brett Kavanaugh. But uh, there's really a lot that needs to be discussed here about what's going on. And so there's several problems that I want to kind of point out that have really reared their its ugly head since the Me Too movement started. But these are really things that have kind of been exacerbated in the last six months. And one of those things is that it's it's tended to equate all forms of sexual abuse into the same pot. So uh, if someone makes an off-color comment to you in the office, whether male to female, female to male, male to male, whatever the thing might be, that there, there's kind of this equating of this to actual physical assault. So if, if a gal in my workplace walks by and I go, hey, I like where that whatever comes from. I don't think something stupid. Just think of some stupid comment that you've heard in your office when you work with gross dudes, or maybe you've said it before, right? You Just a comment like that, not saying that it's appropriate, but there's been some e- equating of that to someone actually physically putting hands on somebody else when it's not wanted or, or even raping that person. And so it seemed to have leveled all sexual abuse in the same category. And even, I mean, Matt Damon got crushed for this, but he made some comments a while ago, basically talking about how we need to be careful, how we categorize these things, that we shouldn't put all of these things into the same pot, that there are different levels when we're talking about sexual abuse. And he got so ceremoniously destroyed for this when his comments were absolutely true. You can't say being held down and physically raped is the same as somebody, you know, basically being bad at flirting. You can't equate those things. He even had to, you know, post a retraction of his, of his things and of his comments and say, oh, I guess I didn't understand where I was coming from. Blah, blah. It's like, no, dude, you understood. Everyone's just too sensitive. Then another problem that I'm seeing, seeing with me too right now is, um, when regret becomes sexual assault. Right. So, so you'll have somebody after the fact regret a physical act that they did with somebody else. And then all of a sudden it becomes sexual assault. And this happened to a comedian and actor Aziz Ansari. And so, uh, th- this is a guy that, um, there was a story that it came out on like babe.net or something. It was some ridiculous website. And it's like, of course that would go viral from babe.net. But this was back in January where there was a story about, uh, Aziz Ansari took this gal out on a date. Uh, he asks her back to his apartment. She agrees to go back to his apartment. They go to his apartment. I think they have a couple more drinks and then they start doing sexual things to each other. Right. Uh, and you know, it kind of, in the story describes the different things that were happening sexually at one point in the middle of one of the sexual acts, the girl's like, ah, I don't really know if I should be doing this. And apparently Aziz and she even admitted that he, he just goes, okay, okay, cool. And then, then you don't have to do it. Right. But then, you know, he starts coaxing her into it and, you know, basically pursuing her. And then they start doing these sex acts again. And then she goes through with all the things that they, you know, mutually decided to do. And then after the fact, she tried to claim that Aziz Ansari sexually assaulted her. Like, even after acknowledging that he offered to say, okay, well, then we can just stop. Would you like me to get you a car to take you home? You know, that type of a thing. And so it was obvious that this girl was feeling some shame over the fact that she was basically being a whore. And, and going over to some guy's house, it's not her husband, and uh, basically performing these sexual acts with them. And then she regretted it later. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, this is her hashtag me too moment. Nah, no, it's not. 
she had a consensual, she did consensual sexual acts with somebody that she had no relationship with other than that she went out to dinner with him once, regretted it later, and instead of just feeling the personal shame of that moment, she decided to call it sexual assault. And, and I think the Me Too movement has aided in that. Another thing that I think that has happened is the believe women mantra or, or believe all women mantra. And now, I understand where this is coming from. I understand that some women are not believed. Uh, I'm sure that has happened. Like, I'm sure that has happened an unbelievable amount of times. But the thing about the, the saying, just believe women, is like, okay, as opposed to what? Because I'm in the camp of, I would like to believe individual people. Because if, if you say that, you know, believe women, you're inherently demonizing all men, right? Because I think things should be looked at on a case-by-case basis. Because, I mean, you just have to ask yourself, can women not lie? For people that have been, you know, posting this on Twitter and on Instagram and things like that, believe all women, believe women. Why can't we believe certain women? Why can't we believe certain men? Because some people's stories are believable because they're true. Some people's aren't believable because they are not true. And, and so th- this believe women, believe all women nonsense has come out of the Me Too movement as well. I mean, just think about it. If we just believe all women, why in the world do we put men under oath? Why do we even do investigations? Why don't we just ask the woman what happened if, if she's completely unfallible and not going to lie and we just go with whatever she says? And then let the justice system go from there. Right? It's just ridiculous. Another problem that, that we see, which is kind of related to this last one, is it, in, it ends discussion before it even begins. Because we see this happen where you'll have a woman that will allege some sort of a sexual assault against a guy. And then people start asking questions. Even if they're just trying to understand, they're not trying to attack the woman's uh, integrity or something like that. They're not trying to impugn motive on her in any way. They're just maybe they don't understand. Maybe the, there's parts of the story that just don't make sense and they're trying to understand. And the moment you ask a question, it's like, how dare you? How dare you ask a question of this woman? Do you hate women? We have to believe all women. And it's like, if we can't have a discussion, then what are we talking about? Because obviously, if we just are supposed to believe women and that's the new standard, then again, let's just report whatever the women say to the police or the proper authorities and let them handle it. So I, I don't really like that it's ending discussion before it begins. And I guess the last thing that I'm feeling that's coming up with this is when awareness just becomes a witch hunt. Because there's a lot of things in our life that don't really go anywhere. And people are like, what's the whole point of this hashtag? Or what's the whole point of this video or whatever? Oh, it's just we want to bring awareness to this thing. Because there are some things it's like, okay, we just need to bring awareness to it. We need to put it in the public light. But then something has to be done with that awareness. Right? But with this whole Me Too movement is the awareness culture has been turned into a witch hunt culture. You know, fact checking be damned. And we don't need a standard of proof that anyone can agree on. But that's the question that it begs is what is the standard of proof? Like what standard of proof are we going to be using? Because I think we can all agree on one. That if something is provable, we should look for ways to prove it and then allow justice to happen in those situations. But the big reason where I, I think that this is going afoul is I feel like the Me Too movement has been weaponized by people on the political left. And so, so here's the thing, guys. 
I know I say this all the time. I don't try to get too political on here because I don't want to piss off one side or the other, but this, this is a movement that is only being weaponized by one side of the issue. And so just follow me here. Even if you don't align with the political left or political right, whatever, I don't really care where you hit on this. Just, just follow me here a little bit because I feel like the me too movement has, has really run aground. I really feel like that's happened and it's happened because of the accusations against judge Brett Kavanaugh. And the thing is, is this is, I think the worst possible example of how the me too movement should, should not have gone. It should not have gone this way. So basically if you've been living under a rock for the last two or three weeks, allow me to bring you up to speed, but there are accusations currently against judge Brett Kavanaugh. He is a judge on the DC court of appeals. And he is Trump's second individual that he has nominated for the Supreme Court. He got Neil Gorsuch in last year, and now he's going to be, uh, he basically put up Judge Brett Kavanaugh. So this is Trump's second Supreme Court nominee. This guy has an impeccable track record, just about in every shape of the word that he, he has been impeccable in his career. Okay. That doesn't mean he's not fallible. It's, it means that he's got a pretty spotless and blameless career, blameless career up to this point. Um, it was so bad watching the senators during some of his confirmation hearings, just trying to drum up anything. Like I think Senator uh, Kamala Harris out of California was asking a question about if he had ever met somebody from a, an organization that Trump had used to use as, as part of his law team. Like try, trying to basically draw a link between him and the Trump Russia conspiracy and things like that. It was like, what are we grasping at here? It was just like a field worth of scarecrows, just one scarecrow after another going up in smoke. And so it was just a really interesting thing. I mean, they were talking about how he how he went into debt to buy Washington Nationals tickets, which what he did was is he put the tickets on a credit card, sold it to a bunch of friends. You know, basically, he was the one taking care of the tickets and he paid the money right back. Right. It was just kind of it's just really, really weird. But essentially, Judge Brett Kavanaugh was accused of sexual assault by Christine Blasey Ford, who is currently a professor at Palo Alto University. And she claims, uh, Dr. Ford, that um, he sexually assaulted her 36 years ago. So this is basically the claim. It was that uh, uh, Dr. Ford and Judge Kavanaugh, when I think Kavanaugh was 17 and she claims when she was 15, that they were at a house party that Brett Kavanaugh was inebriated, that he lured her into a back room where there were other people present in that room, that they turned the music up so that nobody could hear her, and that he forced her onto the bed, put his hand over her mouth, and basically tried to feel her up, put his hand on her mouth so that she couldn't scream or so that nobody could hear the screams, and that, you know, basically he was trying to feel her up and, you know, trying to rape her. Um, and then the claim was, is that in the middle of this, literally right in the middle of this, apparently he decided he didn't want to do it anymore or that he passed out or something like that. And so that's essentially the allegation again from 36 years ago. Okay. So one thing I want to say right up front, because I think people are assuming what I'm going to say next, this allegation could be true. It absolutely could have happened. And that's the thing is if you're sitting there like, Oh no, it couldn't over. Yeah, absolutely. It did. You don't know. Like you just don't know. And to be frank, no one freaking knows. Like really no one knows. But here's the things that we do know is we do know that there are massive, massive problems with her story. So some of them, uh, they're not that small, but they're just easy to go over. Uh, She doesn't seem to remember the specific date of the alleged assault, right? This assault that, you know, has defined her life. She doesn't remember the date. Um, she doesn't remember the exact location of the alleged assault. 
So she puts it in an area of town, not a specific house. Uh, she doesn't remember how she got to this house or how she left afterwards. Um, she has currently no witnesses that are corroborating her story. As of the recording of this podcast, which is the Sunday before its release, um, there have been, I think she put forth three witnesses that she said were there that night that could corroborate her story. All three have come out and said they don't remember anything about a house party that she's suggesting that they were at. They don't remember anything about that. Um, she also never reported the incident, which here's the thing. I'm not going to falter for that. A lot of people are trying to destroy this woman for not reporting it. I mean, guys, I mean, this is about as old as time. People that suffer sexual assault internalize some of the blame. This happens all the time. We have people that go to the grave with, um, with the realities that would have happened to them sexually when they've been sexually abused or assaulted. So this is somewhat understandable, but essentially, according to her, that this came out in a couple's counseling session in 2012. And that, you know, it came out that the judge Brett Kavanaugh, which I believe at the time he was just a D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals judge, um, it came out during that session. But the only massive problem with that is Blasey Ford's, you know, public comments about this alleged incident do not match the notes that were taken by the therapist back in 2012. That's an important note. So uh, you, you bring all of this together, all of this together, and the story's timing just seems incredibly odd, doesn't it? Just seems really, really odd. As, as if there was never an opportunity before this to bring up these incredibly terrible allegations about an incredibly public figure. And to make matters worse, Senator, uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein out of California, Democrat from California, surprise, surprise, she essentially released the accusations. She released it without a whole lot of detail, but she's just like, ah, oh, there's some things coming up and I'm going to tell you later kind of a thing. But the thing that's interesting, which again goes back to why this is all incredibly odd, she never asked Judge Kavanaugh about these allegations in writing, which she had all the opportunities in the world to do that. Um, during the closed and open hearings for the, the nomination for the Supreme Court, she never asked about it which she apparently knew of the allegations before this time, but she didn't feel it necessary to bring it up during that time. And she also didn't tell her fellow senators about the allegations. So none of them could ask about it, right? It's just really, really strange. Like, if this was as serious as what they're claiming that it is, is what they're alleging, why didn't they go to the authorities immediately? You know, why did this woman write a letter to Dianne Feinstein and, and to the Washington Post? Why didn't, why didn't she go to the local authorities? You know, it's just, there, there's a lot of things that, that we can't assume to know because we're not in this woman's head, but it's just, it's weird at the very least. But, but then it, it, the story only gets weirder and weirder, guys. Like what her and her lawyer are saying and their actions right now are absolutely flabbergasting. They're crazy. So, so originally um, she was just saying things like, hey, uh, or the law, through her lawyer that she just wanted her story to be heard. Like she wanted them to be heard. And the Republicans immediately were like, oh, okay, can you come by next week? <laughs> I mean, we'll do a closed session. We'll do an open session. Like we'll do whatever you want. We'd love to hear from you as well. Because if these allegations are credible, then I mean, <laughs> this guy's done. And we, and we don't want to vote for a guy that's been credibly accused of these things. Right. But, but then it became, oh, well, you can't bully her into testifying. It's like, what are you talking about? She said she wanted to talk to, talk to us. And we said, okay, how about this date? And now we're bullying her. 
And, and here's the thing is, and guys, by the time this podcast comes out, I mean, I'm recording this two or three days uh, in advance. And so it's it's not really going to be coming out in, in a way that, you know, this story is going to continue to change. It's changed by the day. So this will be a little bit dated. But at the time of the recording of this podcast, the lawyers for this lady said that they basically, they didn't want Judge Kavanaugh to be present, which is highly ridiculous. I mean, in every single court in pretty much the entire planet Earth, you're there with your accuser. Like you you are defending yourself with your accuser present. So that would seem really crazy that Judge Kavanaugh couldn't be there. Um, they're demanding that no questions come from outside counsel. So they don't, they don't want Judge Kavanaugh's lawyers to be asking any questions of their client. So essentially what it looks like is they just want to make sure that it's the old white Republican cisgender, cisgendered men going after the poor sexual assault victim, right? They, that, it looks like they want the optics of that. And, and here's the other thing that is incredibly crazy. They want Judge Kavanaugh to testify first. If that didn't strike you as odd, I want you to really think about it. How many court cases have you seen even depicted on television where the defendant goes first? Just, just think about it logically, guys. How do you defend yourself against an allegation that you're not sure even what it is? I mean, we have a general idea of what the allegation is. I've obviously talked about it, but you have to know what the prosecution is alleging before you can defend yourself. So that's very, very odd. And then most of the Democrats are basically saying right now that that they want an FBI investigation before we can go forward. We can't possibly vote on Judge Kavanaugh until there's an FBI investigation, which is also really odd because what she's alleging happened, which if happened, in my opinion, should keep him off the Supreme Court. There are some people who are like, oh, he was just 17. What if he groped a girl? No, I, I don't I don't agree with that. If he got drunk and groped a girl when he was 17, I'm sorry, dude. There's only there's only a handful of people in the Supreme Court. Nah, you just can't be one. That's my opinion. But they're asking for an FBI investigation of something that's not a felony. That's not a federal crime. Like, this is a misdemeanor, what she's describing. A misdemeanor that happened in an exact locality, an exact municipality, 36, almost 37 years ago. Like, what does she think the FBI is? Like, they're not the time police. They can't go back in time and, and investigate it. I mean, just talking strictly in terms of statute of limitations, we're so unbelievably beyond all that. What exactly would they find? <laughs> right? But but here's here's the whole thing, guys. And, and I, I know at this point you're thinking, oh, this is just a Republican defending his guy. Dude, at the end of the day, I didn't want Kavanaugh to be nominated to begin with. I wanted somebody else. Like, I'm certainly okay with him because of his track record, but I was hoping for a couple of other people over him. So this isn't like I'm just defending my boy. And just to remind you, I did not vote for Donald Trump. So I'm not just like an always Trumper. I'm not a MAGA MAGA guy that I just want everything that Trump wants to happen to happen. But the whole point here, if you're being intellectually honest, is that Democrats want to delay the vote until after the midterm elections. The Democrats have an outside chance of taking the Senate and they have a decent chance of taking over the House. So. If they can take over the Senate, then then they don't they don't basically have have to vote on Brett Brett Kavanaugh. They can essentially do what the Republicans did with Merrick Garland. Ah, oh, we're not going to vote on that guy. And basically anybody that Trump puts up, even if he puts up you know reincarnated Jesus Christ or something like that, the Democrats will just strike him down. Okay, that's the entire point. So the thing that I think is really hard for us to discuss here is that the people that are doing this. Again, these alleged assaults that could have happened, but most of the evidence points in the opposite direction. These people are willing to destroy a man, even if the allegations aren't true. Diane Feinstein has come out and basically said she doesn't know if the allegations are true or not. 
but she's the one that brought him forth. Right? I mean, and if, if there is an investigation and nothing, nothing comes from it, they've already had Democrats go on record saying that even if he is confirmed on the Supreme Court, they are going to try to get him taken off after the fact, after the midterms. Right? They're willing to destroy this man, even if the allegations aren't true. And the thing that is just crazy to me is how this could even be happening. Like, like how could we be living at a time where this standard seems okay? Right? And at this point, I want to kind of transition because I feel like I'm, I'm going a little bit too far down the rabbit hole. Because again, I want to bring this all back to how should we as Christian men view the Me Too movement? Right? Like, how should we view what's happening right now? And so there were kind of four things that kept popping around in my head. So I want to kind of talk about them all individually here. The first thing is that we should love it. We should absolutely love the Me Too movement. Like, we should want young ladies and, and older ladies and young and old boys. And we, we should want all these people that have suffered sexual abuse and sexual assault to come forward and tell people what have happened. Like, we want that. We should want that all the time. And if it happens to cut against someone that we like or an entity that we like or an establishment that we like, so be it. Let's let the darkness get into the light. Okay. Let's not let it fester and continue ruining people's lives. We should love it as Christian men. And the second thing is we should stand up for justice. We should stand up for justice. But guys, it's for the accused and the accuser. We should want it both ways because this is what we're having right now. Because again, as of right now, as a recording of this podcast, there is no substantial evidence against a guy like Brett Kavanaugh that this ever happened. This is a woman saying that something happened 36 years ago. She can't give us any details or any corroborating proof or anything that even looks like a detail that could lead to corroborating truth. And we're just supposed to believe her. Like we're supposed to allow a man's entire life to be ruined because of what she said. This is, this is so much farther than he said, she said. It's so much far beyond that. Because here's the thing, guys, is if we believe that this is something that actually happened, not only can he not be on the Supreme Court, this guy can't be on the DC Circuit Court of Appeals either. Like, right? I mean, we, we can't have a guy like that that's credibly accused of a heinous assault, like which all of these assaults are heinous in different ways. but. Again, we should want justice here. I mean, Jesus came full of grace and truth, right? You know, there's, there's a lot of grace being talked about now. Let's give her grace and let's give her room. But at some point, we need to get to the truth. There has to be some truth out there. And ultimately, we can't know. But again, just like any court or any justice proceeding, there has to be some proof of something that happened, Right? I mean, we have to stand up for justice as Christian men that in this movement, we have to make sure that it is found out one way or the other. We need to know what happened. And the third thing that I think that Christian men had in terms of how we should view this movement is that we should never want it to be weaponized, right? So it's easy right now, right? Because I'm someone who aligns more on the conservative side of the political spectrum. When I see the left side of the aisle using this as a weapon to point out and be like, oh, bad. But what if the shoe was on the other foot, guys? You have to ask that. What if we had the power and we were wielding it in this direction to only go after people that are on the left side of the political aisle? We should never have wanted that to happen. And here's the thing. This is more evidence that we know that this has been weaponized because how many people that are on the political left have suffered because of the Me Too movement? 
I'm pretty sure Bill Clinton gets paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to go and talk to people. And he's got a lot of very credible women that have come forward to basically say that he raped them. Right? I mean, we should never have wanted this to be weaponized in any way, shape or form. And the last thing that we should think about in terms of the Me Too movement as Christian men is, is that we must be vigilant. And guys, I'm going back to that the, the pod, podcast on the Catholic Church. We have to be vigilant. There are things that happen right under our noses to people that we love, to people that might feel like they don't have a voice, even in light of something like the hashtag Me Too movement. They don't feel like they can come forward. They don't feel like they can talk to you. So part of what you're doing is you're allowing for someone to have the latitude in in your life or the relationship with you that they could come to you and talk to you about that. You're creating that environment. But at the same time, guys, some of us need to be on the hunt. Because if if what's happened in the Catholic Church is true and what the other stats that, that prove that these things are true, then these things are happening on ball teams that our kids are on. These things are happening at camps church camps or secular camps doesn't matter. This is happening at school. This is happening in your neighborhood. This is happening all over the place. And this isn't just to freak you guys out. This is just apparently a thing that goes on. There's a lot of predators out there, male and female. People that that want to take advantage of people younger than them or weaker than them sexually. Right? It's not just kids, but it does happen to kids a lot who are the, the most helpless. But there are women in, in your workplace. There are, there are you know, guys in certain areas that, that they, they just need help. Like they don't know where to go. They don't know how to defend themselves. They don't think they can. And guys, if we're going to be Christian men, if we're going to be undaunted lifers, if we're going to be the types of guys that stand up for justice, we have to be willing to actually stand up. I mean, I see this all the time. I see these guys like, oh man, if somebody had done that to my daughter, I'd blah, 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 blah. Can you think about some of the things that broke down before the thing would have happened. These things don't just fall out of the sky. They don't just hit you in the head one day. I mean, and there's certain things that you can't stop. Like I'm not basically blaming you for the evil that someone else does, but there are things that happen that can be prevented. That some guys like, oh, you know, that guy's kind of looking at some of the, the kids in the youth group. And I just, you know, it's kind of weird. It's catching me off, off guard a little bit, but ah, he's probably just, you know, he's probably looking at somebody else. Or I, I don't know, maybe that was his granddaughter in there. I don't, I don't really know. And we don't think about it. And, and we d- certainly don't ask about it. And I was even listening to a podcast yesterday. It was from Apologia Radio. And he was talking about this time uh, in church where um, there was this guy that would always come. He was like a friend of the family and he would always bring his buddy's daughters to church. And, you know, you're just thinking, oh, this, what a great guy. Like the, the dad can't come to church. So he's taking the daughters to church with them. That's all great. And these kids are like, you know, like 12 and 13 years old. But then, uh, the daughter of the pastor who apparently never gets up during the service, uh, he said, this was like a God ordained thing almost, um, had to get up, like had to go to the bathroom. Like it couldn't wait until after daddy got done preaching. She had to go to the bathroom. And as she's walking to the back, she goes to the bathroom in the back and she sees this man basically making out with this 13 year old girl. And I guess that the guy didn't see her or whatever and didn't, uh, didn't notice that she had noticed. And so after the service, she goes up to her dad and says, Hey daddy, you know, and basically reports what he saw. And then at that exact moment, this pastor and another pastor, they immediately went up to the guy and confronted him. And within 24 hours, the guy was in handcuffs and he's still in jail today. He had carried on a relationship with this girl for years and she was 13 at the time. So who knows when it started when she was 10 or 11, right? But just think about it. And I know there are guys that are like this that would look at their daughter and say, honey, are you sure that's what you saw? 
like, honey, are, are you sure they weren't just talking or are you, are you sure you weren't just giving them a hug or something like that? And you, it, you would be saying those things because you, you're basically being a pre-coward. Like you couldn't imagine basically going up to somebody and potentially calling them out on something like this. And so you just basically are thinking in your head of all the ways that it could not be true. That's not being vigilant, you guys. Like there are things that are going to happen that we can help prevent. So if anything has come from the Me Too movement that I think is really positive, there's two things. Number one, it's causing people to come out that would have otherwise not come out and said what had happened to them. I think it's an incredibly empowering thing that the Me Too movement has done that. And the other good thing is that it is reminding us that this thing happens way more often than we realize. It's happening in our workplaces. It's happening everywhere. I'm not going to run through another list again, but guys, these things are really, really important. And so I know this is going to seem like it's really, really political podcast and oh, I'm just, you know, protecting this Republican guy or anything like that. But guys, if this was someone that Barack Obama suggested and somebody that, you know, could be have had associations with people on the right came up and made an allegation like this, that was so baseless that that literally had no foundation in anything that still might be true. I would be saying the exact same things. I voted for John McCain and Mitt Romney. I think Barack Obama is one of the most damaging presidents in the history of the country. But guess what? He was still my president. Guess what? If he suggested somebody be on the Supreme Court and they were not credibly uh, accused of something like this, I would be like, yeah, that's wrong. Guys, you have to be able to call balls and strikes. You have to be able to call a spade a spade. This is a witch hunt right now. And that's why I think that this movement that could have had really, really good things be a part of it and really helped a lot of people has run aground. And I really find that that's unfortunate. All right, guys, before I let you out of here, we're going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now, we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. And specifically, we do that by providing content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. And today we are going to be focusing on spiritual resilience. So Guys, one of the things that's important about this, and I kind of talked about it a little bit, you may have thought it was a little bit harsh what I called that woman who uh, was, you know, doing sex acts with Aziz Ansari. But at the end of the day, is you kind of keep yourself out of these Me Too moments if you basically are an honorable man. And if you keep all of your sexualizing within the confines of your marriage, right? And I mean, that that's one woman, one woman that you become one flesh with, right? So, so guys, just to let you know, I've had sex with one woman in my entire life and that's my wife. Okay. And so a lot of these things that could happen to people, these, these comments, these sexual comments, this flirtation in the workplace, or, you know, basically they started looking at porn and then they started looking at crazier porn and then they felt like they needed to act the porn out and, you know, all these different things that happen. If you keep the biblical confines of a marriage in your brain and you act them out, you will avoid all of these situations. They won't even like occur to you that, that it's something that you could do. And so the thing that I'm going to suggest you guys do is something that we made about a year ago, which is Undaunted Life and Undaunted Marriage, okay? It's a version devotional, and the link is going to be here in the description, but if you just go to the version Bible app on wherever you access that, go to plans and search an Undaunted Marriage, you'll find it. It's a five-day. I'm actually taking my Sunday school through this right now. It's a, it's a five-day uh Basically, it's a lesson about how we are to have a marriage that's going to be undaunted in this current age. Like, what are the elements of those types of things? And so for you guys, if you feel like you're being pulled in the area where you might, you know, trip and fall and land into some of this Me Too nonsense, I think that this devotional is going to be something that's going to be good for you. I think it's good for you to share with some other guys that are in your life, some guys that are maybe good husbands or bad husbands. I think there's stuff in there that you could benefit from. So just wanted to share that with you guys here.
All right. Thanks, guys. As always, we appreciate you listening this far into the podcast. If you would, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play and refer your friends to listen, okay? And make sure you share on social media. If you use the hashtag Undaunted Life, we'll be sure to find the post and give it a thumbs up. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please, please, please leave us one. We are currently still five-star reviewed on all of our platforms. We want to keep that going. And every time you leave a review with a few sentences, it pushes us up and allows more people to find us. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2018 and the beginning of 2019. So if you'd like me to come speak to your church, your Sunday school, your business, whatever, hit me up at info at undaunted.life, info at undaunted.life. Our website is www.undaunted.life and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Undaunted Life or Facebook.com backslash Undaunted Life. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. I just talked about one a second ago. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro-outro track on this podcast is their song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links to all of this are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.